Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Leading Better and Growing Faster with Joe and TJ. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And we are The Schoolhouse 302. Where you can find blog posts, podcasts with expert guests, curated book recommendations, and our genius thoughts. Always on a topic that is proven to help you lead better and grow faster. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is hit us with a like, a share, a follow, or a comment. On our site or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you access our material. Again, thanks for listening and for leading better and growing faster with us. Here we go with another great episode. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Jennifer Abrams. Thank you for being here on our show, Jennifer. I'm so happy to be here. It's a good thing to do on a Monday. I'm excited to be here. And we're thrilled as well. We're honestly totally psyched about this for a couple different reasons, but love how the universe works at times. This month, we're focused on how school districts can build what we've referred to for a few years now as learning cultures Mm -hmm. and learning cultures, just not for kids, but just as much for adults. And so, you know, your work ties perfectly into that. So TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Jennifer? Sure thing. Formerly a high school English teacher and a new teacher coach in Palo Alto Unified School District, Jennifer Abrams is currently a communications consultant and author who works with educators and others on leadership development at all levels, effective collaboration skills, having hard conversations and creating identity-safe workplaces. Jennifer's publications include Having Hard Conversations, The Multi-Generational Workplace, Communicate, Collaborate, and Create Community, Hard Conversations Unpacked, The Who's, When's, and What Ifs, and Swimming in the Deep End, Four Foundational Skills for Leading Successful School Initiatives. Her newest book, which we're going to focus on during this interview, is Stretching Your Learning Edges, Growing Up at Work. Something Joe referred to just there is learning, our learning edges, learning culture. Jennifer shares her work in other mediums as a featured columnist on growth and change for Learning Forwards, the Learning Professional Journal, as well as contributing to the International Educator, focusing her writing on adult development and collaboration skills. Jennifer has been invited to keynote, facilitate, and coach at schools and conferences worldwide and is honored to have been named one of the 18 women all K-12 educators should know by Education Week's Finding Common Ground blog. More about Jennifer's work can be found on her website, jenniferabrams.com, and on Twitter, at Jennifer Abrams. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Okay, we're going to dig in. Your book, it's called Stretching Your Learning Edges Growing Up at Work. Mm-hmm. So let's start here. Obviously, this is a book that you pick up if you have a desire to grow and learn. Tell us why you wrote the book and what you want readers to take from it. So I think this whole concept that was just mentioned about creating a learning culture, not just for kids, but for adults, is something that we speak to. We say we're lifelong learners, right? We say as educators, we're lifelong learners. And we are in that we definitely want to improve our practice. 
I really believe that people want to do what's right for kids. They want to learn that new literacy thing, or they want to learn how to do something better if that's what the district is moving toward. They're noticing changes are happening in terms of curriculum assessment instruction. There's also this other piece that I think is hugely important that we don't, we just presume is already there. And that's this idea of how to be a learner and develop inner skills in order to be that person. So we could go at the absolute bottom line and talk about being a professional. And we could say, when you show up at a meeting, how are you an effective group member? How do you participate? There's that. But then there's also like, when you want to innovate, when you want to stretch, what are the skills that you need to develop within yourself? What are the mindsets that you need to bring? And nobody really talks about the capacities and the mindset. That's the stuff where I say to myself, boy, wouldn't this field be cooking with gas? And I don't even know we want to do gas anymore and we want to go electric, but wouldn't it be great if we actually developed ourselves in ways that allow us to respond, not react when new things happen so that we're not subject to things, but we can look at things more objectively. So that when we receive feedback in a learning culture, we don't absolutely devolve and fall apart and get defensive. Those are all these things that you just presume adults are supposed to be able to do. But I think that we actually need to name them and talk about them. And so that's what I do in five facets of stretching your learning edges. And Jennifer, we definitely want to get into the five facets. There's a couple in there, especially the fifth build resiliency that TJ and I have talked about. One thing I want before we get into that, though, what do you think is missing? Why do we miss out? You say we haven't developed these skills and mindset, this capacity. Why? I mean, it's a lot of this is seemingly obvious. Like you said, we always tout the phrase lifelong learning, but these are particular things that position us to be ready to learn, and yet we're missing them. Right. I think there's a lot of reasons. There's the time that it takes that we think we do not have time for. There are so many things on our plate. We need to learn just to be able to do the work. So as, for example, I'm a new English teacher, I show up at school, they induct me into the profession, they teach me teaching behaviors. And it takes years to become a good teacher, right? I mean, there's so many new things you need. Then now all of a sudden, and it shouldn't have been all of a sudden, but for argument's sake, all of a sudden we're now into DEIJ. Well, now we need to be more culturally responsive with our instruction. Now we got to build that up. Then we got to work on social emotional learning and well-being because we've got all that over there. It's never about the development of the individual to really do that because we're teacher of record. The focus should be on the kids. It's all about the kids. And so there are a lot of reasons that we already presume we've got a good enough adult. We've got a good enough adult. They're in the classroom. They need to learn their stuff. And so I think it's sort of time. There's some assumptions that we have about that we are done growing in some ways in terms of that maturity. We're already over the age of 26. We're already over the age of 18. We're already there. I don't believe that to be true. It's not true, but it's really doing us a disservice in education to say we're done developing in all of these ways. You're right. There isn't a lot of time. We only do prep periods. We never do reflection periods. This kind of development takes more time. 
it goes deeper than just the classroom. And there are moments when I think we don't want to touch upon it. It's really also where maybe DEIJ work gets kind of, ooh, this is really personal. Yes, it is personal. And the development isn't an indulgence. It is actually essential to us developing as a profession, developing as individuals so that we can be better educators, but also bigger human beings. Students are watching us. And so we can talk about that. It's just, we got to put some time into it. It's just too essential. Let's unpack that a little bit more. I love what you're saying. I really gravitated a lot towards the fact that we schedule prep periods but not yep. reflection periods. And we think that's going to happen in the PLC or someplace else, but without the you know unique and distinct way that we would have to schedule that and make it happen. Because, you know, and not to get too nerdy, but the cognitive scientists have said, like, without a way to do it, you're probably not going to reflect like a way, meaning you recorded yourself or somebody was in the room or you had a peer with you or you watched a video of yourself. It's just not going to happen. So not only do you need the time built in, but you also need a mechanism for it. Beyond that, though, I want to ask, why do you think we're so darn defensive about all this stuff? Part of what you were saying is like, yeah, but it is personal. So mm -hmm. take it personally, but move on and learn from it. Like, how do we get past that? And why are we so defensive all the time? We haven't been apprenticed in a culture like design thinking might allow for iterations and that we're always in a draft kind of form. We're not apprenticed like doctors where we go on rounds and we all do it. We're not apprenticed like a lot of fields that just sort of are allowing this to happen where we study something and it's farther removed from us. So it's an object and we're not the subject. In lesson study in Japan, that's absolutely there. They study the lesson, not the person. Do you see what I'm saying? Somebody happens to teach it and then they study what the lesson is. I think that we're taught in education and we also go into education because we want to make a difference and we're so tied to our work that we can't look at it objectively. And so there's just sort of some inducting us into the profession in a different way of saying, we're going to study the work we do and we're going to be okay looking at that and not crumbling. But that requires us to develop ourselves to look at the object, the lesson, the students, and not be completely tied to their womb and I say that as a woman, you know, tied to my, well, like, I'm completely tied to this lesson. And I think it's just not been the way we've created the field. I think the field needs a little bit of an adjustment in terms of that. So I appreciate that, Jennifer, especially the idea, though, that we're not apprenticed. Personally, when you were talking, it hit me. We try to do mentor. Like you said, that is not the same thing. It's not even close to the same thing as what you're describing. So I just want to clearly distinguish people say, well, we mentor. Yeah, but once you realize what an apprentice really does, how they learn, how they are brought into the field, it does change things. It does change, like you said, how we would look at the lesson, the student, our environment as a whole. It's much different. I want to get into the facets a little bit. Because I think the five are great. One that I wanted to talk about, if we wouldn't mind digging in a little bit, is this idea of building resiliency. And one that stuck out to us, mainly because in a profession right now where we need to be resilient, it's things aren't going to change necessarily for the better 
people aren't going into the profession as much. We're afraid those of us who, you know, hire and try to retain that teachers aren't going to stay. Can you dive into that facet five for us and talk about building resiliency as learners and then, you know, really how this builds the profession ourselves in the profession? There's so many people that look at resiliency. And so the way that I was looking at it, because I was growing up at work and I wasn't trying to be punitive. I was saying, how can we develop ourselves? I was very specific in my build resiliency. And I was thinking about sort of working on, as I say in the book, our own emotional and psychological hygiene so that we're healthy for ourselves and healthy for other people. And when I do my workshops, I put a picture up of Pigpen. So Pigpen was in the Snoopy Charlie Brown comic where he's a lovely person, but he has a lot of dust and he comes into a lot of the situations, but not all the situations he's in. Absolutely. And he dusts them up. And it's because he hasn't kind of cleaned himself up. And I see people when they come into meetings, they bring a lot of dust, psychological and emotional dust. It could be from 1985 that they're bringing in something from the past. It could be that something happened right before the meeting. And it could also be that they have not figured out how to deal with the ambiguity that this meeting is going to bring to them and the uncertainty and the uncomfortableness of that. Or they haven't figured out how to manage their disappointment or their anger about a change that's happening. And then they just kind of dust up everything instead of looking at it objectively, instead of asking questions in a more responsible way, instead of articulating concerns before they become complaints. There's just that kind of grown up kind of stuff. And so when I say we've got to be resilient, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be human. I'm not suggesting we can't be vulnerable. I am suggesting that there are moments in our work that we need to develop ourselves so that we share in professional ways with one another and we understand that we are both person and professional and that there are ways to grow ourselves so that we can show up in professional ways at our workplace. So that's what I've been talking about with that. And I've been at way too many meetings where people just... You know, and I was like, mm, I think we could be better. It isn't that we can't be real and we can't be human. There's just a level that I think that we could all show up at that might help. I wonder what your theory is or if this fits into it, whether or not the fact that the vast majority of the day for teachers, these people who you're talking about dusting things up, educators... And look, I'm an educator. I don't take offense to any of that. I think it's the real deal and we need to fix it. But I wonder if some of that isn't a symptom of being isolated with young people who don't have a fully developed amygdala for the six hours out of your day and only 45 minutes with adults and you just get there and you're like, ah, I mean, right. you think that's part of it or? You bet. You bet. And I think that if we are with adolescents or younger people who haven't developed this way, it hasn't been our environment for so long. It's such a shift to be the teacher of record and then 
to be a lifelong learner and then be in this place of, I have to be with an adult and I have to suspend my certainty and I have to be adult with my language. And it's like third grade teacher now shifts to, you know, coaching and collaborating. There should be moments of how do we move into this? What's our runway for this? But I think there should be that moment of, whoa, I need to step back, change it up, show up in a different way. And what I actually say in my workshops now is I'm using Indiana University Health Center's sandwich board. So I saw this somewhere. There's a sandwich board as you go into the hospital and it says, please take responsibility for the energy that you bring into this space. Your words matter and your behaviors matter. So please take a slow, deep breath. Make sure your energy is in check before you enter. And I thought, yep, okay, that, I all of a sudden, you know, and so I think there needs to be ways to show up like that, you know, and maybe there need to be strategies, but you're absolutely right. If you've been with people whose amygdalas are not fully developed and you haven't been working on fully developing yours and there are strategies to do that, then we need to start putting that into practice. You bet. It's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they do feel a certain way, that it's okay just to respond to it, even though we know what comes in can go out. And generally speaking, I heard this not too long ago, and I found it to be so true. Within 15 minutes, you've usually calmed down. But I love that about be responsible for the energy you bring here. It's not just the way you feel. Choose to be energetic. Choose to be a person that adds value each and every day. It's powerful. Now, we're going to switch gears a little bit, dig into, if you wouldn't mind, a little more personal and then also into your own lifelong learning. Who's a person or a group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I absolutely, every Sunday, I look to Shane Parrish at Farnham Street. So he sends an email out about thinking. I think you're both a thinker and a feeler if you're looking at the disc or the Myers-Briggs. And I sometimes will side as a feeler. And so he brings me into that more cognitive, strategic place. So Shane Parrish, Farnham Street, you can see his blog and do that. And then I also really have been studying with Jennifer garvey Burger, and she is a adult development consultant. She wrote a book called Changing on the Job, and you can find her work at Cultivating Leadership. She's currently based in Europe. She's been based a little bit in New Zealand. It is an international organization of people who are looking to this idea of developing adults in any field, and they're doing quite a bit of work in education as well, but it's not enough yet, right? At least in the States that I think that we need to be focusing on it, but it's, it's a challenge, but I, Jennifer Garvey Berger. Yeah. And I know Shane Parrish, his work is really intense with leadership as well. And we'll definitely link to those two things. Jennifer, I'm wondering if there's one thing that you could recommend that people try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life. And I love the deep breath. I took a lot of notes on the start your meeting with a deep breath and energy check. But is there anything else that you would say, do this on a regular basis and it will help you with your amygdala or help you with other leadership? I got to tell you, this has been interesting. My boyfriend, Stuart Levine, is also a communications consultant. And what I would say, I've been encouraged to bring this into my professional work as well. We do a relationship check-in every Sunday. And there are four questions that I think keep us pretty on track 
two feet in the present and good in this relationship. And that's why I think you could modify them to work with a team. One is, how do you feel about me? How do you feel about me today? The second is, is there anything that you appreciated about me this week that you want me to know about? But the third question is, is there anything you feel incomplete about that you'd like to bring up at this time? And the fourth one is, is there anything that you need from me this coming week that you know about now and you'd like to ask and request? And I think to myself, if we could do that at the end of a week or at the beginning of a week with a team of what went well, is there anything you feel incomplete about and what requests do you have for us as we look at our calendars? I think we could work on both the what we've got to get done, but also the how we can get it done. I love the what's incomplete. I just talked to a principal today and we talked about paint done. Brene Brown. I heard those two words. I fell in love with them because it just makes sense. Is this paint done? How would we avoid, Jennifer, the how do you feel about me? Mm. Like either not being genuine or something like that. Get to a point where we have that degree of trust. That's a huge thing. And obviously, Stuart and I are in relationship. I might start with not asking that. Just do three questions. Start with what do you appreciate that this group did last week? You know, and so it's about actions and not about platitudes or fake words or whatever, but that you are asked to thank somebody for something or name something that really was a helpful word, a helpful comment in the hallway, you know, the email response, something like that. So that you really are being tasked to be action oriented. That might actually be good. To build up trust requires that you spot and label actions where people have demonstrated competence and done things that are good and right for the team. And that means you got to be on the lookout for those things too. And the more that you can see it and name it, I think the more trust will be built. I really like that as well, the spot and label. Identify it, know it, appreciate it you know, give it the respect it deserves versus just running through it like we always do and not paying homage. Jennifer, in prior to this going live, you know, I mentioned I'd seen you years ago in Canada, was enthralled with your work. Now, I felt very important, especially the conversation piece, the ability to give direct feedback. I think that's how we improve performance, period. A lot like you just said, the vulnerability with those four questions and the willingness to learn from them. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? I giggle. I really am not a good cook. I don't really want to cook. And my boyfriend is like totally into it. My mother was a gourmet. And I think I need to feel freer to fail at it. But it's not something that I just am like, yay, I want to do it. I don't. People just love it. And I just think that it would be honestly, in so many ways, a really helpful skill. And I just don't know how to do it. We could talk about kayaking. We could talk about lots of other things. But cooking is a better example of something I need to get better. I don't know how to do it. And I think it would be a good thing. Yeah, it's a helpful skill to have for sure. These days, you can also make food with a telephone. So, And I do. And I do, but it would be a good idea to just know how long to cook things. It should just be in my bones. It shouldn't be something I have to look up such silly little things. So 
That's great. Lots of audience members will relate to that for certain. Let's talk about your leadership growth. What's one thing that has led to your leadership growth? You talked about Shane Parrish. You talked about some people who you follow, but are there some leadership practices or other things that you would say, this is how I continue to grow? And look, we're going to link to the Knowledge Project. I don't think you can miss that out on that if you're not following as a leadership tactic, but what else could you say? I would suggest three things. One, really find a conference such as Learning Forward to attend. Learning Forward is the conference I go to every year. I would suggest that you apply to co-present with somebody at anything that you do. I've never stretched more than having to do a national conference with somebody and not normally present with that person or to do something statewide. It stretches me. I'm so solo all the time. And that actually asks me to think and really duet with somebody. And so that's huge. The other thing is if you are really interested in somebody's work, find them. You don't know they're not so big that they won't give you time. I learned that from my group at Learning Omnivores. There was a guy named Robert Marshak, and he wrote a book called Covert Processes at Work. And he talked about all the hidden things that were going on in organizations. And he lived at the time in DC. And I just wrote him. And I said, can I fly to you and just talk to you for a day? I'm fascinated as to how this would assist in my writing. And he was like, who are you? And I was just like, you know, and my friend's like, man, if you got that, I'll come too. And so we both flew there and he was so blown away that idea. And I was like, we're going to meet with you. We're going to fly here. We're going to take you to lunch. We want to pay you for your learning. And it's like, people are like game. If you're really hungry to learn with somebody, go find them and ask if you can do that. That's one thing that I just have loved about this, which also leads to, I bet your last question, but I bet you want to ask that before I answer it. <laughs> I want to say though, we have discovered that more people than ever, than we could have ever imagined are generous. Yes. And I love the uh, co-presenter. People have asked TJ and I several times, why do we do this together? You know, one, it could be faster if you were separate. We have our own lives. Joe, you're independent. TJ's independent. But I think people are mistaking. We're not doing this solely to, for a business reason. This all started because he and I were sharing ideas and we did not want to lose that ever. And so if business growth comes at our expense of learning from one another, then we've lost the whole purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here. So I appreciate you saying that. This is our favorite question, mainly because I think it does speak to what we're talking about today, Jennifer, which is your own growth as a human being. What's one thing that you used to think that you don't anymore? There's a gentleman that I, one of the many people that I have a cognitive crush on, and his name is Peter Block. Peter Block is a management consultant, and he wrote a book called The Answer to How is Yes. The Answer to How is Yes. And I think that many of us live in, oh, I couldn't do that. I can't do that. And I think when I was younger, I was that way. I think that I also felt more guardrails around me, couldn't possibly become this, couldn't possibly do that. And I guess one thing that I don't think anymore is that I can't do something. I may not choose to do something, but I could. And that's really, I think, the thing that I want people to realize. There's a lot of 
stuff in schools where we couldn't possibly do that, that can't change? And the answer is, yeah, that might be true. There are many reasons. But there are also other schools where it's completely changed and you could go there and teach there. And so that idea of, heck yeah, I would say it in a little more, not as Midwestern of a way, but the answer is heck yes, right? You can do things and you can ask for things. And so go forth and get it done. Whatever you want to do, do it. That's a great message to end on. Whatever you want to do, get it done. The answer to how is yes, just say yes and move forward. We have so many mental blocks on the things that we can accomplish in schools, what kids can do, what yes. schools could be. And so let's make the change. Let's make the shift. This has been phenomenal. Jennifer, is there anything else that you would like to add today? A question we didn't ask, a request from our listeners, anything? If anybody wants to interview me as one of those things, like how did this woman become a consultant? And I get that a lot from people that are like, can I just pick your brain? Because I'm thinking of doing that. That is something I'm game to do for men and for women or for anybody, however they identify. Jennifer at jenniferabrams.com. I am game to talk to you because I think that we need to open up the possibilities. I'm always happy to be a cheerleader for people on that. Well, thank you for that. A super generous offer. There you have it, folks. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at schoolhouse302.com. That's theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, book recommendations, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed hanging out with us and our special guest. Jennifer Abrams. Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time, and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.